Hey coaches, it's Pete. I had the pleasure of having another financial coach, Coach Philip, on with me because Philip has a unique side hustle that actually dovetails nicely with financial coaching. So if you are in the world of personal finance and like side hustles, I absolutely love side hustles, have done many, always keep trying different ones, then this one might be of interest to you. So stay tuned for my conversation with Phil about a side hustle in finance. I am super excited to have you with me, man. It's good to see you again. I know we've uh, connected here a few times over the past couple of years and you are doing financial coaching and I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, but maybe I could just have you introduce yourself here and where you're at and what brought you into financial coaching. Sure. So uh, my name is Phil Gutinez. I am founder of Reach Your Goals Personal Finance Coaching. I am pursuing my AFC. I'm an AFC candidate. And uh, I got into uh, financial coaching just because I wanted to help other people get out of debt uh, with budgeting and setting goals and achieving goals. So awesome for you. But, you know, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit more about the taxing because you brought it up and and uh, give you the floor here. Yeah. So so I had this idea of, you know, a, a movement of uh, AFC potential candidates where they would consider being a seasonal tax preparer. And you know, the AFC pushes the VITA, the volunteer tax assistance program. But for me personally, I ended up, I was a seasonal tax preparer at a, a local tax office. That was kind of one of those seasonal ones that's open from January to April. And I originally was doing it to get some one-on-one client experience, uh, to get comfortable with, you know, being in that role. But there were some other benefits that were also takeaways. And so just some some things to think of. So you basically get paid training on taxes. And for me, it was very little cost to get into becoming a tax preparer. Uh, I think it was $100 or something like that for books, you know, and then other than that, I had to get a a PETIN. It's like a, a PIN number that you have to get. If you're, if you're doing taxes for compensation, you need a PIN number by, and you need that the, by the December 31st of the year, uh, before you plan to prepare your taxes. So $136 in and uh, I'm getting trained on how to do taxes. And that's that's tax education elements that I can bring into my practice. And that's also some, it kind of demystified taxation for me for a couple of areas like investments and real estate and small business taxes. Those things, I had no clue how they worked but a- after doing you know, taxes for three years, you know, if someone came in with, you know, a brokerage account, or if they came in with a, a schedule C small business, you know, I, it, I was comfortable doing those taxes. So it kind of, uh, for, for me being a small business owner now, it kind of demystified that and made it a little bit, brought some clarity on that. So let's see what else. Uh, Can you explain what the tax preparer role entails, you know, and maybe how it's different from some of the other terms that we use, you know, and and I generally will use tax professional, but we obviously know there, you know, there's a CPA, which is, which is a role in tax, uh, but then there's the preparer. And so can you kind of explain what the differences are? Yeah. So the tax preparer, um, they're going to do an interview with you. Most likely you'll fill out some sheet, you know, about your basic finance financial situation. And it'll be like a checklist style thing. Then that's usually followed up with an interview of some sort. So 
they're trying to tease out uh, from you what types of other tax credits you might be eligible for, or deductions you might be eligible for. For example, you might ask whether you have any kids that are in childcare because there's a childcare credit. Or you might ask whether you have any student loans that you're paying interest on or any tuition that you paid this past year. There's this kind of, you know, the kind of the same kinds of questions you'd go through uh, if you, you do taxes on TurboTax. And basically, it's a bunch of questions that might not be relevant to you. But if they are, then they're kind of leading questions to other um, types of deductions you might be eligible for. So the tax preparer is going to interview you. And then um, make sure based on, you know, how you filled out your checklist that you have all of the forms that you should have in having answered the questions the way you did. So if you say you're getting pensions, they're looking out for, you know, the 1099 forms that would be for those pensions. Or if you said you did a, a 401k rollover, you know, they're looking for those forms. And so uh, the, the tax preparer will then generally just up input that stuff into into the computer and the top tax software does most of the work but um, it's trying to make sure that you have all of the forms they need to have entered into this into the, the system so that it can it can do an accurate tax and, um, and so do you find yourself asking a question about hey yes well, we did pay some student loan interest but they don't have the form and you're waiting for that form to come back and then you'll input that number into them there okay. yeah and it's, and sometimes you'll go out and you'll just flip the computer around and let them log into their student loan account and print it off for them you know okay. it's, it's part of the service that you provide as a tax preparer um, is to help them track down some of those things you know sometimes it's a former employer they, they don't work for them anymore they have no idea how to get a hold of them um, but you know that they we're paid with ADP and you know, it's an ADP employer. So you can go on the ADP website and download the, you know, have them log in and download their, their W-2 form. And then how far along, you know, in the tax return process does the preparer go or, and, or be responsible for? Um, so the, for in, in terms of like liability, is that what you mean? Like, yeah. Do, like, do, yeah. They, do you go through and actually submit it? Um, are you the person that signs the preparers uh, area of the, the form and, and those types of things? Yeah. There's a separate a signature line down below uh, for the tax preparer and your, your PETIN that you have to register for actually goes on the form. So they cannot all tie it all back to you. Um, and then, you know, I was working for an organization, a local organization that, you know, would oversee the filing of it, but they were electronically filed to the IRS um, through their, their tax software. And I think, you know, VITA would be the same way. And what about liability for the preparer as you're kind of going through this and you're relying on, you know, them answering the questions correctly and knowing uh, what they have. And, you know, I've certainly talked to some people who, you know, came back and they were like, I don't understand why I got this letter from the IRS. I owe money, but, you know, because they earned money, they had an actual W-2 from somewhere that they lost or misplaced or whatever and, and didn't get in there. But, uh, you know, what, what kind of exposure do you have as a tax preparer or anyone as a tax preparer have to, to accuracy? Yeah, I think if you were if you were doing it independently, then um, you know that would definitely fall on your own shoulders. For me, I was working for an agency, so you know we they they kept those um, checklists so that you kind of see who's at fault. You know, if they if you said you had three uh, employers but you only produced two, you know you could you could tie it back and see who was at fault for it. But you know the the company that I worked for was really good about handling any of those letters from the IRS. Uh, they would you know cover the difference if, if the, the tax preparer was at fault for it. Um, and they have, you know, they have insurance to cover that sort of thing. They don't need to rely on very often, hopefully. 
but they'd also go to bat for you on certain things that the IRS was maybe challenging you on. I know the manager at the, the branch that I worked at would go down to the IRS office and actually meet face-to-face with someone and kind of argue, you know, the merits of why they included the deductions they did for a small business, right? And so there's there's some of that that's, that's kind of uh, built along in the price that you pay for that service is you, the expertise and you're also getting the, the, the one-on-one assistance if you should get those types of letters. So you work for a larger tax agency as you're doing this, you know, is that something that you would recommend that, uh, you know, doing it under the umbrella of someone else's organization is a good way to go? I mean, so for me, I, you know, look, I didn't realize it at the time, but um, the hours that I did tax preparation, they counted towards my AFC certification. Mm, so okay. I'm already 500 hours into my 1000 hours that I need. But by doing it with the organization, you know, it offered flexible hours. So I could work on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. And, you know, it's a great part-time flexibility there. It's a short-term commitment, right? So I know from January to April, you know, I might not have my weekends, but, you know, April will come at some point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 2020 ended up stretching out to July and this year it'll be May. But, you know, usually... It's, it's a very, you know, defined time period that you're actually committing. Gotcha. So um, were you doing this mostly in the weekends or evenings, or did, did they let you decide that they have need any time was, was what, 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 what kind of time commitment were you? Yeah, playing? I was, I was the weekend guy. I, and I think I, I did two days, two days a week, one year, one day a week, the other year. So I do maybe Tuesdays and Fridays and then the weekend. And then one year I just did, I think Fridays and the weekend. So just Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, and are you a contractor? Are you an employee? Well, are they paying you by the hour or by the, the job? How does that work, you know, as a, as a representative yeah, of an agency? I think, it, I think it varies in terms of um, what kind of bonuses you might be able to get. There's some that are, so I was paid hourly. And then there was, there was some that will pay a, like, a very small percentage of, of how many people you help, right? And so I think you know, it's, it's just trying to incentivize you to try and help more people, or I don't know if it's trying to get you to go faster, or if it's trying to help get you to help, uh, or kind of compensate you for more complicated returns. You know, if someone's, someone comes in and they have one employer and no other, you know, deductions, that's a very easy, uh, tax return compared to someone who has rental property and investments and, you know, owns their own business and all that loaded into one that that's a much bigger job right so some do compensate based on the the work effort that you put in as well on top of your your hourly wage and then for vita i think it's just volunteer you're not compensating anything it's just to help people that meet that certain income threshold right yeah and i know there are some websites to get connected with a vita or find a vita you know so one if you wanted to volunteer there but obviously if you also needed the assistance of a vita you know that can be found online but in terms of the organizations that you'll work with you know to become a tax preparer for are, are these the large name brand national organizations are these usually more local is there a different is it both you know are there some things that you should consider about kind of uh trying to get affiliated with one or the other yeah, I, I I chose a local one. It's it is a national brand, but it's it's owned by a particular household that's you know maybe owns five or six locations. So it's kind of like a franchise, I believe, is mm-hmm. technically what it is. And I I liked it because the atmosphere was a lot more laid back. 
if you're comparing it to like an H&R block, it's, it's kind of the, the atmosphere can be very professional, you know, it's, um, so the, the local one was more, more relaxed, it's more kind of more friendly with your clients that are coming in, they would give back to the community. And so there were just kind of those kinds of benefits that for me were appealing, but you know, I, I know people that have worked at, you know, H&R Block that really love doing taxes. They, they realized that they actually are like math geeks about it. And people where I worked were the same way, you know, there's some people, they just, they love the problem solving. You know, you, you have kind of a mystery walking in the door and you're solving the mystery and you're, and when you're, when you're done with that client, you, you kind of finished the puzzle. Right. And there's some, there's some reward to that, that there's some level of satisfaction that you get from actually completing that person's return. And then there's the kind of the personal aspect of it too. You've helped somebody out, you know, you made it, you've found money for them that they didn't know they were due, but there are some turnoffs too, I guess some, I, I should mention too. So some of them have some fees that are in excess of what you think would, would you would pay for tax preparation. And some of them have some add-ons that you have to sell that can get kind of salesy. And so that can be kind of uncomfortable if you're not, if you're not used to that sort of thing as well. So, and, 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 and then also you have to be the bearer of bad news. Sometimes there's some people that walk in and you tell them you owe $20,000 and they'll say, Oh, is that it? <laughs> there's other people, you know, you're like, yeah, it looks like you owe a thousand dollars and they're just devastated. Right. Cause they had, maybe they had something planned for the refund and, or, you know, they don't know how they're going to come up with a thousand dollars. So, so there's that aspect too. That's the negative, but just kind of wanted to mention that there are, it's not all, it's not all rosy there. There are some things you have to, to also keep in mind. So it sounds a little bit like it's, it's not just labor. It's not just the, 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 the fact of doing the work itself, but there are some times when you will have to uh, do some coaching, some selling. And, and I, I think, you know, that's a, something that's important for people to realize, you know, especially as they're thinking about a side hustle or additional income, you know, some people just do not want to do the sales. And I kind of started out that way. Right. But, you know, if you are willing to do that, I think it does open up the doors for a lot of people. In terms of the experience of being there with the client, are you answering a lot of questions about what the tax law is? Usually, you know, on a, on a typical engagement, are a lot of people saying, hey, you know, can I deduct this? And, you know, you know what's the rule and what's changed with this and that? Is that something that happens a lot? Yeah. I mean, I was a tax preparer when they made the big changes to the standard deduction where they doubled it. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were a lot of people that didn't quite understand why they couldn't itemize or why it didn't matter that, you know, how much they paid in mortgage interest anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, Because there are some, you know, some people that they'll never, they'll never itemize again based on that, you know, how that's been restructured. Um, But yeah, it's a lot of education. It's, it's, I mean, that's the way that I did it anyway. You know, I would show them, you know, what their tax rate was and I could, I could show the actual tax brackets. I could explain to them, you know, why they're, they're being taxed more this year compared to last or, you know, how it, how it varied from year to year. But that was just kind of what I brought to the table was just kind of educating them, answering questions about, yeah, what's, what's deductible, what's not. 
Yeah, a lot of people here were very excited about the new standard deduction until they learned about the SALT deduction. So, so is this uh, something that you mentioned January through tax de- uh, the tax deadline? You know, is this where all the work is done and then you basically have the rest of the year off? Is is this very very seasonal, or is there some bleed into some of the other things like small businesses and and some of the other uh, seasons as well? Yeah, I mean, there are there are some businesses that always they they schedule an extension to and push it out to October. That's pretty common. If you have bookkeeping experience, that's where it usually can extend throughout the entire year. You know, you're helping those small businesses with their bookkeeping, and then when tax season comes around, you just do their taxes because you already have all their books, um, and you have kept them up to date all year long. Um, but in general, you know, there's. There is some access to, you know, tax questions throughout the rest of the year. If you're, you know, maybe you're, it's August and you're thinking about selling your house or something like that, you could, you could call somebody up and ask those types of, you know, questions. But in general, for for actual just the preparer, usually it's seasonal. It's just until April fifteenth, and then you celebrate that you made it through the tax season and and look forward to the next one. Yeah. What kind of people are looking for the services of a tax preparer? I know a lot of people will do things online and I'm always maybe surprised by some of the people, like you said, have very simple taxes and will still use an in-person professional uh, versus some of the people that have some very complex things and and try to DIY it. Is there a type of uh, tax filer that, you know, really gravitates towards the preparer or the in-person preparer? Yeah, I think if you're not sure of what credits you might be eligible for, um, I would say it wouldn't hurt to, to speak with a professional and just get a grasp on what types of things you might be eligible for that you wouldn't otherwise know. I mean, the, the tax code is very lengthy. It's confusing. So, I mean, for me, it was, it was good to get my you know, taxes done for free, being a tax preparer, and it gave me the confidence that I could do the taxes myself in the future. But, you know, for some people, it's just a matter of kind of getting it done once by someone, you know, and then following what they kind of the path that they took thereafter, if, if everything's staying the same, right? My opinion would be that if, you're, if your taxes are really simple, like you just have a single employer, you don't have any kids, you don't have any student loans. I mean, I guess, you know, there's those things that you don't, you don't know, right? But if, if you have very simple taxes, I think you could probably do them yourself without, without involving a tax preparer. But what, what might you be missing, right? What are those little, those little credits and deductions that you're not aware of? That's where consulting a professional could help you tease out those, those special considerations that apply to you that you might not otherwise know. And in general, how are you interacting with people these days, you know, especially you know, the, the ones that you're working with, are you doing some virtual work? Are you still going to uh, people's places, you know, in this current environment? Yeah, I think it's, it's been more of like a drop-off, limited contact arrangement this year. I know with Vita, they're doing the same thing. It, it's, you might have one interview right before you, you, you drop off your paperwork, you have one little interview, and then you come back a week later and you schedule your next meeting to go over the results. And so rather than kind of like sitting there, waiting there, having it done right in front of you, which it doesn't, it's not any fun to watch somebody type a whole bunch of numbers into a computer system anyway. Right? So it's kind of being done where you're having the least amount of contact as possible. But 
Not, not so much virtual. I mean, I know there are some organizations that can probably accommodate that with, you know, with the Zooming and, and things like that. You could have the interview over, over the computer, but I haven't seen that uh, common in the marketplace. And there, maybe there is an opportunity there to, to do that. So a lot of the stuff you're, you're actually get, you're, you're collecting on paper, I should say, it sounds like. You don't necessarily have to anticipate an hour long personal interaction to, to be able to prepare this, right? You're, you're kind of collecting all their stuff and then getting it done for them. Well, I appreciate that because, you know, I love side hustles. I have been uh, not secretive about the fact that I've tried many over the years. I love the idea of side hustles that fit into the financial space, especially since that's my background. But since anyone watching this channel um, is maybe thinking about financial coaching. And so I think a lot of those things pair up and we're looking at some of the side hustles that have to do with real estate as well, because that tends to be some of the finance focused types of stuff, you know, what what's required around the mortgage loans and credit scores and stuff like that. So uh, this is a great one. I appreciate you bringing this up because obviously I know that tax preparers are around. This has been a, a large industry for a long time, but I have never met one, you know, to be really honest. I've, I've done my own taxes for the most part, or in the past, if I haven't, I, I've used a CPA when things got really, really busy, um, but that's that's expensive. You know, it's expensive and it's, it's not getting cheaper, I would say. And so it sounds like not only is this something that some people should think about as a consumer filing the taxes, but as financial professionals, you know, we can get more people in there helping more people as well. So that is, that is really, really awesome. Thanks for sharing that and opening up the doors to that giving us a little peek because, you know, I don't know that anyone would know where to go on that. So no, we're at time right now here, Phil, but I want to thank you for coming on. You are a financial coach extraordinaire, someone who is living, breathing what they are doing and helping people. And I know that you have been working with some people to kind of get their finances squared away, to get their behaviors changed. And it's one of those things where I know that you are sharing not only the strategic advice, but practical tips because you've done it, you've lived it, you've experienced it, and you are continuing to evolve and continue to learn as well. So I'm looking forward to doing more. So I would love to have you on again at some point and we can talk about some more topics because I've got, didn't even get to the other pages here, but um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I appreciate you coming on today. And uh, if you want to reach out to me or Phil, I'll put our contact information in the description below. Thanks so much. Awesome. Thanks.